Hello, everybody, and welcome to another episode of The Lunch Table. My name is Molly, and today I'll also be joined by Sid, Sienna, Fia, Olivia, and the podcast Gremlin Tara as we discuss a new series, which is going to be Learning with the Lunch Table. And the first episode, which is this one, <laughs> the first episode is going to be on LGBTQ plus terms and what they mean. Hi, I'm Sid, and I use she, her pronouns. My name is Olivia, and I also use she, her pronouns. My name is Molly, and I use they, them pronouns, but pretty much any pronouns are okay. Um, And I'm Sienna, and I use she, they pronouns. Hi, I'm Marlo. I'm the editor. Uh, Fia wasn't here when the pronouns were recorded, but she uses she, her pronouns. Okay, bye. So today we're going to try to make things simple because these terms and ideas really are simple. What's complex about everything is the fact that humans are attached to it and humans are complex beings. Yeah, there's definitely a lot we can say about all of these things, but for the sake of time and for the sake of our audience, um, target audience for this episode, we want to just make sure that we're scratching the surface and we're not um, getting too, too far into these things, because this is a learning process. Um, So just to start with, you know, with the community, uh, talking about acronyms. So, you know, what is the appropriate acronym? It's changed over time. Why is it changed over time? So, um, so as we know, LGBT stands for lesbian, gay, bisexual, and transgender, uh, with each of those letters kind of having um, subgroups to them. But Anyways, okay. Originally, the acronym was actually GLBT, um, which a lot of people don't know. Um, But then, uh, so through the AIDS crisis, lesbians really like stepped up and were primary caretakers of people that were sick. And so to honor that, the acronym was changed to be LGBT um, with L starting in the acronym. But over time, as you know, our community has been more accepted. And as people have been given the space to explore and to grow, uh, and our community has grown in diversity, we have, you know, LGBTQ. With LGBTQ, the Q was added on to uh, touch on queer and questioning folks and, um, you know, just kind of include as many people as possible. And then with the plus added on, including as many people as possible. Uh, some people do choose to use longer acronyms, but uh, such as LGBTQIA or LGBTQIAP to include um, intersex and uh, ace arrow or asexual or aromantic people. But generally, the acronym that is most used right now is LGBTQ+, which is short, sweet, but also inclusive of as many people as possible. So sort of talking about queer, which is another really big sort of umbrella type term, um, a lot of people grew up with that being more of a slur, similar to um, some other terms that we'll talk about later. The idea of queer is more just this term that embraces any type of person who doesn't identify as cisgender and heterosexual. Um, So it has sort of been one of those terms that's been reclaimed by the community. Um, And a lot of people, even in our generation, some more Gen Z folk are identifying just solely as queer, which 
allows us to not have to label so specifically and put ourselves in such tight and rigid boxes and sort of hitting on those boxes. To start, uh, Fee and I are just going to explain a bit about like sex versus gender identity versus gender expression. Um, so sex typically points to like your chromosomal pairings, your genitalia, um, that type of thing where it's what people are born with, you know, secondary sex characteristics, which are like breasts or Adam's apples, that type of thing. Yeah. And a lot of people, when they think of sex, they typically think that this is a binary idea, but it's actually not. Um, contrary to, you know, widely held belief, um, this is not really a debate. A lot of people try to make it into a debate, but, you know, science points to the fact that there are um, I believe the number that I've seen is just up to eight recognized biological sexes. But um, yeah, even that does not adhere to the binary. And intersex people are born about as common as redheads. So a lot of people think when they think intersex, they think that's like a super weird, rare, like birth thing. <laughs> but um, it's actually not as rare as people might think. There's also... Um, a chromosomal thing where you can be born with two X chromosomes and a Y chromosome, which doesn't always present as intersex. So what happens is basically when the egg is getting its genes, it gets two X chromosomes and they just don't separate. And so you get two sex chromosomes from your mother and then you get your Y chromosome for your father. And so typically these people present as what most people would see as a cisgender male. Um, but in terms there of in ter but in terms of their sex, they're not just a simple XY, which most people associate with male. Then moving on to gender, gender, um, as we have been waiting on, let me start over. Okay, moving on to gender, as we've been addressing, I feel like recently I've seen a lot of people addressing this more. Um, gender obviously is not binary. Um, it's not a binary concept. It's an infinite concept. It's a construct that we created. Um, yeah, and we'll touch on this more later, but gender kind of as a social construct is a very colonialist ideal. A lot of um, societies recognize uh, more than just two binary genders, but, um, you know, as we've been seeing, I feel like especially in the past few years, more and more people recognizing that gender conceptually is infinite. And it's not, it doesn't make sense to place arbitrary uh, standards and labels on gender. It's a complex human experience. And, you know, people do identify with labels and there are people who don't identify with labels. And then um, because of gender identity, we then come to gender expression. So gender expression is typically more how people present themselves outwardly to the world. Um, and how that sort of interacts with our traditional gender norms. So whether that be, you know, like we're seeing it sort of change, but like short hair used to be synonymous with either, you know, lesbians or males. And so now we're sort of seeing this flow where gender expression isn't so pointedly one thing or another. Um, but when people are talking about gender expression, they're sort of talking about how you express yourself in terms of our gender norms. Yeah, kind of in terms of a spectrum of masculine on one end, feminine on another, and androgynous kind of in the middle. But 
Um, it is important to note that gender expression doesn't necessarily equal gender identity. Any person of any identity can express in any way. And that goes for not just how you dress, how you look, but also how, like what pronouns you use. Pronouns don't necessarily equal gender. Um, and a lot of people, especially recently, have begun to identify with, um, with multiple sets of pronouns or with different pronouns. And maybe that means that they identify under a different gender or maybe it doesn't. So um, just refer to people as what they have expressed that they would like to be referred to. And um, yeah, don't make assumptions based on someone's gender expression because that doesn't necessarily point to how they identify. So like Fia said, pronouns which are commonly associated with gender are used in English language and have been used in pretty much every language since language was you know, invented. Um, pronouns are, you know, like, he went to the store, she went shopping, they walk their dog. Um, but as we've been touching on, when it comes to pronouns, um, pronouns do not adhere to the binary. I feel like we're going to say that like a hundred times of like all of these things don't adhere to the binary. But like, honestly, none of this does because um, human experience is complex and we can't place each other in boxes and we can't place ourselves in boxes because it just limits our um, limits our lives. But some people only recognize she, her, and he, him pronouns. Um, some people only recognize she, her, he, him, and they, them pronouns. Um, I feel like also a lot of people will be like, oh, you know, it's really hard to use they, them pronouns. It doesn't really make sense with the English language, but it's actually not true. Um, when you think about it, we actually use they, them pronouns um, all the time, especially when we don't know, uh, you know, we don't know who we're referring to necessarily so like oh you know who left their backpack here things like that but there are more pronouns than just you know she her he him they them some people use multiple sets of pronouns personally i do i identify with they them and she her pronouns um some people identify with neo pronouns uh, such as zim or people use kind of like object pronouns um, and we'll touch more on that later um, and why those things are valid and why some people may use those pronouns. But um, generally, yeah, pronouns can be anything. Um, just be a decent person and refer to people how they prefer to be referred to. So next we're going to talk about umbrella terms. And this is kind of the last of the general acronyms or just broad terms that get used a lot that are going to be really helpful navigating conversations about LGBTQ plus communities and people. An umbrella term is essentially a term created to be inclusive and include multiple different terms under it. So, for example, the word transgender is an umbrella term since it can refer to a transgender um, male to female, a transgender female to male a transgender non-binary person. It can refer to any of those things. And another example of an umbrella term is the word LGBTQ. So you actually probably already have used umbrella terms without even realizing it. And it's just pretty useful when navigating conversations. So really quick, um, jumping a little bit back to sex, a lot of times more recently and with younger people, Instead of saying that so-and-so was born a boy, um, because we know that boy is a gender-associated term and people are not born with a gender, we're born with a sex. So especially when regarding um, trans people and people who don't identify within the binary or people who are gender non-conforming or GNC, 
we use the terms AFAB and AMAB. So AFAB or AFAB stands for assigned female at birth. So that would be someone like me. I was born, I was born and they assigned me female based on genitalia, chromosomal makeup, that type of thing. Um, and then AMAB, A-M-A-B is assigned male at birth. So that would be someone born with male genitalia and such. Um, and I know Fia started talking on this, but I think now we're going to jump to gender as a colonial idea. They mentioned how other groups already acknowledged and have acknowledged multiple genders for hundreds and hundreds of years. And so specifically when we talk about indigenous communities, whether that be indigenous people on the continent of Africa, in what we now know as the Americas, there have been these groups that just accept that this idea of gender is a construct and therefore didn't have this, you know, Western idea. Yeah, like kind of a personal example, which is actually, I think it's really, this is really cool. And this is something that I only learned about quite recently, but um, in Hawaiian culture, uh, there is a third recognized gender, which is mahu, which um, if you're Hawaiian and you're listening to this, you might be thinking, oh, mahu, like, that's a bad word. Like, that's that's something that is used as an insult. Um, that honestly, like, personally, that's the only time I've ever used the word, uh, used as, as, as an insult or trying to talk about someone who's gay without saying, like, gay out loud. But um, yeah, no, mahu is a, is a third recognized gender um, in really ancient Hawaiian culture. Um, people who are mahu were seen as kind of, like, spiritual connectors, similar to um, a lot of mainland indigenous communities um, recognizing two spirit as a third gender. Um, but yeah, so basically what we're getting at here when saying gender is a colonialist ideal is that um, binary gender, male, female gender um, has been imposed on a lot of indigenous, has been imposed on a lot of indigenous communities. So um, with like Mahu in Hawaiian culture, which if you want to learn more about that, there is a short film on YouTube. Uh, I've been seeing that's getting a lot of attention recently called The Meaning of Mahu, but you can also, you know, look up things about it if you want to learn more about um, indigenous uh, third genders. But these identities through colonization, um, they, through colonization, there was a lot of effort put into erasing these identities. And so, um, yeah, when we think about binary gender, it's also important to recognize the intersectionality with that. Sid, do you have anything to add or does anyone have anything to add? Cause I know that that's also like a big concept. I was just gonna add and make sure that people know the idea of gender has also been used specifically in terms of harming um, black people in the Americas. Um, and we saw it a lot through slavery and Jim Crow and mass, the emasculating of black males and the way that black bodies have been treated for centuries on this continent. Um, and so we see how much harm the binary has done in our past and even in our present through trapping and oppressing so many groups of people. And so jumping outside the binary, I think Molly and Fia are gonna be talking about neo-pronouns and micro-labels. All right, so when talking about gender, there's a couple of things you're probably gonna hear come up. 
and those two are microlabels and neopronouns. Microlabels are pretty much labels that are not umbrella terms and or are very specific within groups that already exist. So for example, I am non-binary, but I identify with the label demigirl, and that's a good example of a micro-label. So I am still non-binary, but I just also have a micro-label that I specifically quite identify with. Neo-pronouns are a little bit different because they aren't like in addition to something, they're usually instead of something. And a neo-pronoun refers to a pronoun which has either not been commonly used in recent years, even if it existed prior, or it is new and created by the person using it. We see this a lot among the neurodivergent community. And if you don't know what neurodivergent means, neurodivergent refers to usually autism, ADHD, dyslexia, dyspraxia, and other conditions in which your brain is born built different than neurotypical. So I'm sorry, I know I said built differently. Um, <laughs> neurodivergent refers to people who are born with brains that are structurally different than neurotypical people. This usually includes the common groupings of people with autism, ADHD, dyslexia, and dyspraxia, although it can include more. Those are the people who most often neurodivergent is used to refer to. And the thing about being neurodivergent is that because your brain is structured differently, it means that you process certain concepts that are man-made differently. And the concept of gender is something that is man-made. You know, when we see dogs, we don't see them like expressing their self-identity because it requires a level of conscious thought which only humans possess. And because of that, um, because of that structure, people who experience structures differently will need different things and terms to refer to them with. So pretty much anything could be a neuropronoun and <laughs> anything could be a neopronoun. Dummy girl means that I identify partially with being a woman, but that I do not feel it expresses my full identity and that I don't fully align with the identity of womanhood. For me personally, that might mean something different than another demigirl who may be demigirl for different reasons. For me, it's because the only way I feel like a woman is the way that I'm oppressed by sexism. Other than that, I literally don't feel like a woman. So like that's an example of a micro label for me that really helped me figure out like what I even felt because it just gave me words to express it. Coming yeah. back to neopronouns, um, there's a lot of discussion around whether neopronouns are valid and which ones are valid. And we're not going to bring up certain pronouns in this or say certain things are invalid. All I would like to say on this is that um, if you are communicating with someone who is using neopronouns that you personally are uncomfortable using, it is always polite to, rather than argue with them about their personal pronouns, use their name. Um, if you're not comfortable using certain pronouns or there are certain neo-pronouns that you just don't feel comfortable using, um, it's really not up to me to tell you like whether or not, for example, my pronouns I use are valid. So if you are in a situation where for whatever reason you don't wanna be using someone's pronouns and it's, you know that it's just because you personally are uncomfortable, I would just recommend using someone's name instead. 
And I would also try to avoid telling people to change their pronouns because it's pretty easy to just change your vocabulary you're using. And a lot of people who use pronouns that get de debated a lot whether they're valid are children. And I think it's important to let kids express themselves and not force certain ideas we may have about words onto them um, and put them in situations they might not be ready to defend themselves in. So if you don't want to use someone's neo pronouns, don't talk to them about it or yell at them about it. I would just say, try to just use their name instead or ask them if they have other pronouns they also like. And yeah, that's Fia, if you have any thoughts on that. Yeah, um, and some people don't identify with pronouns at all. Some people just do use their name and prefer that you use their name to refer to them. Um, and that's perfectly valid as well. I think that it's, if you don't identify um, with neo pronouns, it's not up to you to decide if those are valid because that's not your experience. So just be respectful. And like Molly was saying, um, if it's a pronoun that you don't necessarily feel comfortable using, you can just refer to them with their name. So one question that I really want to address in regard to gender is a question I hear a lot, which is how many genders are there then? Because we've, we've learned that there are not just two genders, there are many genders. And my personal answer to that is who knows and who cares? It doesn't really matter how many genders there are. I personally believe that there are probably as many genders as there are people on this earth. Uh, the way I like to think about gender is that it's really just a loaded term that we've given to how we feel about ourselves. Um, that's how I like to think about gender. Um, so I think, you know, just be respectful of whatever someone tells you their gender is. And um, in the end, we're all just, we're all just human beings. There are, there are um, as many genders as there are, and we don't really need to know what that number is. Yeah, and adding on to that, um, I think that it, that's kind of a crazy thing to think about because I think, I mean, we've all been raised kind of thinking there's male and female and that's so not true at all. Um, and the way I've tried to explain it to my parents actually is think about it as like a spectrum. You know, you can like anywhere, anyone can fall anywhere on that spectrum. And I mean, whatever they want to identify as, it, it's valid. Um, jumping forward now, I know that we've mentioned trans or transgender a couple times. So transgender, refers to anyone who doesn't identify with a gender that matches their assigned sex. So that can, there's, like Molly said, that's an umbrella term. It covers a huge amount of people. Um, specifically, we um, want to focus right now on trans femme and trans mask people. So typically when we talk about someone who's trans femme, that's someone who identifies somewhere on the femme spectrum, which could be anyone identifying as a woman or you know, someone who's non-binary but identifies more on the femme side or the femme part of that. And then trans mask would be the opposite. So a trans man or someone who identifies more on the masculine side. And just remember, femme goes with feminine and mask goes with masculine. And that's that's that, I guess, on trans femme and trans mask people. And then like Molly said, non-binary people are people who just don't identify with the binary, the gender binary. So anyone in between, outside of, above, below, left, right of the binary. Yeah, and a lot of people, um, personally, I do identify this as well. Um, a lot of people, and I think Sid touched on this, identify with the term GNC, which if you don't know, GNC is just short for gender non-conforming, so not conforming to our ideas of binary gender. 
So, you know, it can be used in tandem with non-binary. Some people identify with one term over the other. So, yeah, that's just what that means if you see that. Adding in two terms with transgender, transfem, and transmask, if you are referring to someone who is not transgender and due to the nature of the conversation, you do need to specify whether or not they are trans, a helpful term that may even describe you is cisgender. And what cisgender means, and that's C-I-S, not S-I-S, what cisgender means is that you are comfortable identifying with the gender that you were assigned at birth, and you, you know, that's how you like to present. That's pretty much all it means. It's not derogatory. It's not an insult. It's literally just means you identify as you were assigned, and there's nothing wrong with that. So if you are in that conversation and you need to be saying that, that is the proper word to be using. And similarly, going along with that, there are the words binary and non-binary. So the word non-binary, I think, is the best way to start off with, just because you normally we center binary, but non-binary essentially means that your gender exists outside of the colonial gender binary in the place you live culturally. So for me, I live in America, and I do not identify with the American cultural binary of gender. It does not describe me. I do not identify with it. It doesn't feel comfortable. So I am non-binary. However, people who may, for example, identify as a trans woman are trans people who exist within the binary. I would also like to note that if you are cisgender, it's pretty easy to declare which one you are, which pretty much if you are cisgender, you are existing in the binary. Um, If you do not feel that that describes you, then I don't know, maybe do a little questioning. But if you're cis, you're in the binary. If you're trans, you might be in the binary, but you might also not be. That's all that means. And in terms of the binary, the way that I have come to think of it that makes me most comfortable is sort of like a Venn diagram. So you have the big rectangle and inside the rectangle are the two circles. So in the middle, they overlap. That for me would be someone who's like gender fluid or androgynous, where there's sort of like a mix of what we deem the binary. Then in one, you have what would be in America or Western civilization would be a woman, the other would be a man. And then outside is anywhere from like agender or, you know, gender-free, genderless, any type of person who just doesn't fit in there. And so that's sort of what I see of the binary. Finishing up on gender identity, the last clarification on a term we'd like to make is how you can, in shorthand, refer to non-binary people. A lot of people like to shorten non-binary to the letters N, B. However, this is actually being moved away from as N, B is typically used to describe non-Black in a lot of situations, and I've also even seen it used to describe nobody. So because it is predominantly used when talking about race to avoid stepping on you know, the Black community's toes in a term they have already created to talk about their experiences. We, as the non-binary community, are usually referred to with the letters E-N-B-Y, which if you say it out loud means N-B. 
I want to clarify, though, that not all non-binary people feel comfortable being described as an NB, like the spelling out. They don't always really like that, as some people do kind of associate a, a essentially just a third binary to it. And because of this, people do not like it. So you can use it, and it is going to be correct in a lot of situations, but it is also important to remember that you know, non-binary people aren't a monolith and they don't all like being referred to this way. Okay, and then moving through, as we kind of finish up the um, little gender portion of this episode, um, now talking about like sexuality specific terms. To go over some terms that generally refer to women loving women, which means um, someone who identifies as a woman and is attracted to other women. And that is often abbreviated to WLW. Um, sometimes a term that these kind of people use to describe themselves as is sapphic, which um, refers to a Greek poet um, called Sappho, who lived on the island of Lesbos, which is where the term lesbian comes from. And um, she often wrote poetry for other women, um, love poetry, some might say. <laughs> so that is um, where the term sapphic comes from, and it's often used as an adjective. Uh, another word for um, women loving women is lesbian, and that's a commonly known one, and it really just refers to a, um, a woman who is attracted to other women. Uh, another term would be MLM, which is a man loving man, um, and that's just the same idea as women loving women, a man who is attracted to other men. Gay can refer to someone who is attracted to someone of the same gender as they are. Um, so that could be a gay man, a gay woman, and um, it's usually used in that way. Another word is bisexual. And I find that this one is confused a bit um, because uh, it's often used as an umbrella term for anyone who is attracted to um, multiple or all genders. Um, for, off, for a long time, bisexual is understood as someone who is attracted to men and women. But as we know, there are not just two genders, and bisexual people are often not just attracted to the binary genders. So we like to understand bisexual as an umbrella term for someone who is attracted to multiple or all genders. Just going off of that, um, like Olivia was saying, bisexual can be used kind of as like an umbrella term, but there are many uh, labels that are confused about when with uh hang on there are a lot of labels that are confused with bisexual that are very similar but are different um some of these terms may be pansexual omnisexual sometimes polysexual which is not to be confused with polyamorous um which is a different identity but i digress there are many identities that refer to a sexuality in which you are attracted to more than one gender um, and there are differences between these. Uh, I feel for the sake of time, we can't necessarily touch on the differences between every single one of these labels. However, it is important to note that there are differences and to you, they may seem small, but to some people, those differences are very important. And so they choose to identify with a different label. And it's important to respect that no matter what. I feel like in and out of the community, there has been a long winded discourse and debate about um, bisexuality versus pansexuality. But at the end of the day, if someone chooses to identify with a label, as we touched on with micro labels earlier, um, it just helps them 
understand themselves and it helps them describe their identity to other people. That is as simple as that. Um, just be respectful of whatever term people choose to identify with. I just wanted to say too that like not everyone has to identify with a label too. Like I know so many people who do not use a certain label and that's totally okay as well. Touching on arrow and ace, which refers to aromantic and asexual, these are two identities which typically describe the lack of either sexual or romantic attraction to other sexes and genders. There is debate on whether or not asexuality is a spectrum, but regardless, we're just going to give you the terms to be talking about those, those identities. Asexual means that you lack sexual attraction to others, either completely or to a certain level. And aromantic means that you lack romantic attraction to others, either completely or to a certain level. There are micro labels within the asexual community that are also debated, such as gray asexual or demisexual. There's a lot though. So if we covered all of them, this would be super long. So I'm just going to say what gray sexual and demisexual mean since they are really commonly used and whether or not you believe they're asexual, they are terms that describe people. Demisexual refers to someone who does not feel sexual attraction to someone unless they have known them for an extended period of time, usually at least a year or more. Gray asexual means that you essentially identify as an asexual, but you may feel sexual attraction in very specific situations. It can be very different to some people, so I don't want to get too specific, but it essentially means that while you do feel some sexual attraction, your experience is ultimately different than someone who just completely is comfortable saying, yes, I do feel sexual attraction, and I can be sexually attracted to people, and I know that. Um, So that's pretty much what those terms refer to. Continuing under this idea of sexuality and sexuality-specific terms, kind of segueing into um, some lesbian-specific terms. Um, The D-slur, which, okay, for the sake of context, I do identify as a lesbian. Therefore, I have the ability to reclaim the slur, and I'm going to say it once and only once. If you do not know what I am referring to, the word is dyke. But anyways, I digress. The D-slur... There has been some discourse about who can reclaim the D-slur, but um, it's a word that has continually been used to refer to non-men who are not attracted to, not available to men. Originally women, however, as the label of lesbian has been kind of expanded to people who don't um, identify as binary female. It is generally used to refer to someone who does not identify as a man and who is not available to a man. Therefore, bisexual women or just other women-loving women who do have attraction to men, do feel attraction to men, um, should not use this term, should not reclaim this slur. Um, There is discourse about that, but the generally held belief, especially by lesbians, is that that is how the word should be used. And then um, some other lesbian specific terms that you may hear, um, such as stud, femme, stem, butch, etc. When you say, actually, the words butch and femme are 
long used terms to refer to uh, lesbians who express in different ways with butch being typically a masculine presenting lesbian, femme being a feminine presenting lesbian. However, historically, um, black lesbians were excluded from um, white lesbian spaces or just generally black LGBTQ people were excluded from white LGBTQ spaces. And so uh, black um, lesbians created their own terms, stud um, instead of butch. So a masculine presenting black lesbian and femme, still using femme, but a feminine presenting black lesbian. And then stem kind of in the middle combines the two, uh, combining stud and femme. So someone being kind of in the middle. Um, I feel like it was about a year ago that I saw a lot of people on TikTok starting to use, use these terms and they got colonized a little bit and there was a lot of people who are not black using these words likely because they didn't know the history behind them and they didn't understand that these are black specific terms however um they are they're black specific terms and so it does not make sense for non-black lesbians to identify with these terms quick trigger warning for discussing the f slur you may want to skip a couple minutes ahead if you already know what it means um, and it personally triggers you, but the F slurs history is violent and we are going to be expressing what the word comes from and the origins. So if you do not think that you are in the headspace to handle that, please skip ahead and take care of yourself. Since Fia brought up the D slur used against lesbians, I thought it would also be good to bring up the F slur and the F slur in case you are not aware and you don't you haven't heard it referred to as the F slur before, the shorthand version of it is usually spelled F-A-G. So if that to you like helps you know what I'm talking about, great. The F slur is commonly gatekeeped within the LGBTQ plus community and there's a lot of debates and arguments on who gets to say it. Um, all I'd like to say <laughs> on this is that because the F slur is a slur that was designed to discriminate and referring to the oppression of the entirety of the LGBTQ plus community, not including asexuals for this part, sorry, um, just because historically it did not happen to asexuals, but Kessler origins are essentially that gay people, specifically women who love women and men who love men, and I'm assuming also transgender people, would be sought out, and after they were sought out, straight and cis people would basically kill them via lighting them on fire. Because the history of the F slur does include the oppression of all people inside of like lesbian, bisexual, transgender communities, it does not make sense for this term to be gatekept to specifically men who love men, which is a common argument put forward by some members of the LGBTQ plus community. And I believe that a lot of slurred discourse in the LGBTQ plus community is generally had between white members, and it is often done in an effect to attempt to have a term in which only your group can use. And while it is important to, you know, make sure that we are saying certain things that people are comfortable with and not using slurs in situations people are not comfortable with, it's important to note that just because a slur exists does not mean that it is only limited to one group of people. 
The D slur is an example of a slur that is limited to one section of the LGBTQ plus community. However, because the F slur is just different historically, it cannot be gatekept to just one part of the community. And because of that, it's not just gay men who can say it. Another sexuality term that you may come across in the LGBTQ plus community, while it is not exclusively LGBTQ plus, is the word polyamory. And polyamory is, I will note, different from the word polysexual. They express two different things, and polyamory is not exclusively a sexuality. It is usually used in addition to an already present sexuality to describe your relationship with monogamy. Monogamy, in case you do not know, is the systemic systemic system. That's so awesome. You guys know when there's systemic systems. It is the system of marriage and relationships in culture in which it involves one person and another person in an exclusive relationship. Monogamy is pretty common in American media, so I'm sure you will notice you like your parents are probably monogamous. If you live in America, that's like it's just pretty common here. It's what's most common in media. Um, polyamory is essentially anything outside of the bounds of monogamy. So polyamory could be any anywhere from having multiple relationships consensually with all your partners to having multiple people in one relationship consensually to, you know, just not being exclusive on sexual terms with your partner. Polyamory has a lot of different definitions, so we won't delve into every single one, but it is important to express that it is different from polygamy. Polygamy often has religious ties and involves the marriage of multiple people to one entity. Because this is so different from polyamory, it's really important to remember that they are different and that by simplifying them as the same thing, you can invalidate a lot of polyamorous people and a lot of polygamous people. It's also important to remember that polyamory and polygamy can be valid and the consent is what matters, not whether or not there are multiple people. So just because it is not monogamous does not mean there is no consent there. And just because there are multiple partners present does not mean it is polygamy. It can be polyamory and not just a religious thing in polygamy. Moving on to different forms of sexuality as it is expressed, there are two words which we are going to touch on, and those words are trixic and toric. These words are used and created so that non-binary people may express either attraction to men or to women or to femininity or masculinity without putting themselves back into a binary of, let's say, identifying as gay or straight or lesbian or bisexual. However, just because these terms were created for non-binary people, this does not mean that non-binary people have to use these terms. A lot of people will try to invalidate non-binary lesbians, for example, by forcing them into the label of trixic. This does not make sense since being lesbian is already an act of defying the gender binary, which is heteronormative. It does not make sense to then force lesbians back into a gender binary and identify only as something that would work with identifying as non-binary. Because of this, it is possible to be non-binary and lesbian because you can feel more connected to the identity of lesbian than you do to your gender. 
these are very real and we want to clarify and stress that you should not force non-binary people to identify with these terms especially if they are saying they're lesbian do not force them to identify as trixic especially because as we've touched on multiple times um gender is infinite and it's fluid and it is everything and it is nothing um people can identify really however they want um and a non-binary person one non-binary person isn't going to experience their gender the exact same way another non-binary person does um and maybe they adhere to the binary in some ways and don't in other ways um and also i feel like using trixic and toric can also place a binary on non-binary people which doesn't make any sense so generally if someone identifies with trixic and toric that is wonderful and that is incredibly valid but if someone does not if a non-binary person does not identify with those terms like molly said don't force them to conclude if you're not sure what someone's pronouns are or even if you are sure just ask it's not that hard it could really like it could really help someone um and if you are having conversation with someone and they correct you don't make a big deal out of it simply apologize don't don't try to explain yourself be like you kids have so many pronouns these days like don't do that um just use those person's pronouns after they've cracked you from there on out like it's not that hard okay it's very easy to change your language when referring to someone and it could mean a whole lot to that person and not doing so could cause a whole lot of damage so just be a decent person Thank you so much for listening to this podcast episode on LGBTQ plus terms. And if you are in search of more ways to learn and more ways to reach out, we do have an Instagram at The Root of Our Youth, a website, therootofus.com, and you can find us under the Root of Our Youth tab. We also have a newsletter, which you can sign up to through the website and don't worry we will not spam you we don't have time to spam you our newsletters are valuable and important and they're actually a really good resource we also have other podcast episodes on saturdays new episodes are always released on saturdays so if you are wondering when you will hear from us next you'll hear from us on the next saturday (laughs) that was so awkward i'm sorry if you want to reach out to us in absolutely any other way we also have a email that is the root of our youth at gmail.com so on saturday mornings we have a group called girls rise up um from 10 a.m to 11 30 a.m if you are a female identifying person or even a gnc identifying person and you would like to attend this space um and discuss and talk about uh issues that AFAB and uh, female people face. That is, like you said, 10 a.m. to 11.30 a.m. If you just search that on Eventbrite, you can get that link straight to your email. That concludes this episode of The Lunch Table, our new series, Learning with the Lunch Table. Uh, thank you so much for listening. Thank you so much to uh, everyone who was featured on this episode. I feel like we covered a lot. So, you know, take a deep breath. And if you'd like to learn more, ask people, ask questions, do Google searches, just learn as much as you possibly can so that you can be the most, so that you can be the most well-rounded and respectful person possible. Thank you. <laughs> bye, mommies. <laughs> okay, bye. I think we're good.
you, Tara. Special shout out. I don't know if this could be on the episode. Thank you so much, Tara, for Thank being here, you. for Thank popping all our things in the chat, keeping us on on topic. And I know that was very chaotic at times. <laughs> and and a shout out to Marlo because I know you're listening to this. Thank you for editing our mess. We love you. You're a god. 